0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. We will first to the book of Matthew, the 14th chapter the book of Matthew, and then we'll read uh, in just a moment from the book of Romans. On last Wednesday night, we, I announced and we began a series on living in the supernatural. And I'm going to continue that tonight. This is a little more of a teaching message. It's a little more um, methodical. So I want you just to sort of settle in. If you're going to take some notes, that's great. If you if you want the more a little more of a preaching message from last Wednesday night, you can get that, of course, on the CD. But tonight is the second part of this, and it's a, a little more of a teaching message on largely on how we approach the supernatural. I want to deal in particular with how we approach the difference between living in the supernatural and dabbling in the paranormal. Matthew chapter 14. I want to begin reading at verse 22. Then Jesus commanded his disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. When he sent the crowds away, he went up into a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now out in the middle of the sea or the lake, if you will, sea of Galilee, tossed by the waves for the wind was turbulent. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. Now look at the word. If yours translates ghost, it's a perfectly legitimate. It's the same word that is translated in some versions for the Holy Spirit. Numa, ghost, spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. The same word. It is a. They think it is a disembodied spirit. A ghost, a spirit. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter got out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid and began, began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said to him, "'Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt?' And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, "'Truly, you are the Son of God.'" Now, if you will turn to the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. I want to begin reading at verse 31. Romans 8 and 31. "'What then shall we say to these things?' If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with Jesus also give us all things freely? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Yes, who is risen, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. There's the same passage in Spanish. Mas que vencedores, more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, this is the famous passage, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing, nor ghosts, nor goblins, nor Frankensteins, nor zombies. Paul didn't know those things, but he would have listed them if he'd known he had to. (laughs) Zombies shall not be able to separate us from the love of God. The walking dead cannot separate us from the love of God. Amen? Vampires, oh my. What what is the deal? You know what I read? More women read vampire books than men. I have no clue what that statistic means. But I know it's sad. Vampires, I'm asking you, can vampires separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? I'm asking you, can they? Can zombies? Can anything, demons? No. What about adversity? No. Anything. Can anything separate us? No. Let's settle it then. Nothing is able to separate us. Nothing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, with our hands on the word and our hearts and minds as open as we know how to get them, we're asking you to do all the rest. Lord, we live in a troubled world. Lord, we sometimes live with people who see you walking on the water and think it's a ghost. Lord, we we need wisdom and clarity and anointing. Help us, O Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name, the strong Son of God. Amen. In 1814, right about the time that Colonel Andrew Jackson was fighting the Battle of New Orleans... Across the Atlantic Ocean in Europe, three young English people, two men and a woman, were vacationing on the continent. One was already famous in his own world, Lord Byron, the poet. His live-in girlfriend, Mary Shelley, who was later to become his wife, and a young writer named John Polidori. While they were on holiday, they came up with a little contest They were all three obsessed with the occult. They all three believed in all kinds of weird paranormal phenomenon and were fascinated with learning more about it. So their contest was this. Let's have a contest to see who can write the scariest horror story. It's three young English people off on holiday. Lord Byron, the poet, lost. The first modern vampire book ever written was called Vampire, written by John Polidori. He came in second. The winner was the girl, Mary Shelley. She wrote a little book about human regeneration through bogus science. Story of a physician who lived in Transylvania. She called her book Frankenstein. I believe that 1814 was a down point downturning point not only in world literature but in the western world's obsession with the occult and the paranormal we live in a supernatural world christianity is a mystery religion we believe in supernatural realities we believe in angels we know the bible speaks of demons we know that Satan is real. We know that God is real. We know that this bifold universe, we are right now in our, in this natural environment surrounded also by the supernatural. The materialist, you hear people talk about materialism and they think it means obsession with money. But materialism technically simply means a belief that all there is is the material world. That the laws of nature are inviolable. What I can see, touch, taste, smell, that the material world is all there is. There is no supernatural world. That the laws of nature are inviolable. Any attempt to do so, such as to cause the molecules of water on the surface of a lake to coalesce and hold hands at such intensity that somebody might walk on them, is absolutely bogus. They would say that any attempt to violate the laws of nature would end in failure, at least in maybe disaster. And I believe that human being could fly only by using the natural laws against each other in contradiction? In other words, speed versus gravity in order to achieve liftoff. But they believe only in the material world. The end of all things, of course, when they come face to face with the transcendent reality of the supernatural world, their materialism will be a shattering disillusionment. When they see God seated upon his throne and stand before the judgment seat, they will realize how pathetic was their knowledge that an apple which they could hold in their own paltry hand had any value whatsoever in transcendent cosmic universe that is supernatural at its very core. To God and within himself, the bifold parts of the universe, the material and supernatural, are one. One. The supernatural and the natural man. We are ourselves supernatural beings. Famous quote, which is credited to George MacDonald, but I, I, I don't know for sure who said it first. It says, you, you do not have a soul. You are a soul, you have a body. So you are at your core a spiritual being. We hear all this talk now. And the reason I chose to teach this series on the supernatural world is that through the month of October, we have the run up to Halloween and it's just everywhere. Now, I'm not, I'm not a religious fanatic trying to rain on everybody's fun and, and I, I don't, I'm not into that. I know a lot of guys that freak out that if your children go trick or treating, that you're going to become demon possessed. <laughs> but what I am trying to say is that it is a season in American culture when the the emphasis on the bizarre elements and evil elements of the supernatural world are ubiquitous, they're in every store—ghosts and goblins and wraiths and gargoyles and vampires. It absolutely—I shudder to think how many toddlers will toddle down the street this very Halloween dressed as the Walking Dead. I just think it's sad. When I was a kid, I wasn't raised in a particularly Christian home. We went trick-or-treating until I was too old. My mother said, you can't go trick-or-treating anymore. They think you're mugging somebody. <laughs> but you know, the, the worst thing we went as was a hobo. <laughs> I thought my third grade teacher was of the walking dead, but... I, I, All of these things are inventions of the human imagination which long for the titillation of horror. There is something about the scary story that engages our emotions and our psyche. How much damage it does psychologically, I don't know, but emotionally there is something about a horrific moment that wires us up. If it didn't, then why would people go and sit in a movie theater and pay a great deal of money and look up at a screen and say, okay, come on, scare the liver out of me. (laughs) But what they want is safe horror. What they want is, is sterilized horror. Vampires on a screen. The real horror in life. They do not want to confront a bloodthirsty Islamo fascist with a sword that wants to cut a Christian's head off on a beach in Syria. That's horror. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit and watch a documentary about the Holocaust and watch old ladies pushed into a gas oven. That's horror. Therefore, I have to say that when we begin to consider the reality of supernatural evil, I, I believe in the demonic activity of evil. I'm not saying that everybody who commits a sin is demon-possessed. And, it, and, and please don't hear that. But I believe that there is a mind behind the mind. I think there is spiritual activity that's happening. Every, every gangbanger that pulls a gun out and rolls a window down and drives past somebody's house and, and shoots somebody dead on the sidewalk. I'm not saying he's demon possessed, but I am telling you, I think there's demons in that car. I have no, there is no, um, geopolitical or psychosocial explanation for the Holocaust. I, I've heard history teachers and sociologists try to explain away the Holocaust. Oh, Germany was humiliated at the end of World War I, and they were filled with rage and all the rest of that level of toxicity, that level of, of, of anti-Semitism that can kill. What can cause a 19-year-old Lutheran boy to work all day in the gas ovens at Auschwitz and on the way home buy a Christmas present for his mother? There's no explanation psychosocially that can explain that. If we can even if we could even imagine if our eyes could open and see the air over Auschwitz or Buchenwald can we even imagine the demonic playground that that was So to say that I, I don't believe in ghosts and goblins and vampires I'm saying that that is trivial concept of horror. But there is horror. There are real demons. What shall we say to these things then? Let's analyze some of the supernatural realities in Scripture. I want to divide them up into several camps. Just supernatural realities in Scripture. This is going. To, I don't want this to degenerate into a simple list, but I, I'm, it's going to take you a while, so stay with it. There are natural realities. There are supernatural phenomena in the natural world throughout scripture. What about in the Egyptian plagues? It's supernaturally natural. Hail, fire that fell from the sky. The water of the Nile that turned to blood. Frogs, lice, diseases in animals and humans, locusts, darkness. They were, they were phenomena of nature. And the sky, Turned dark. The frogs were real frogs. They They weren't mystery frogs. They weren't imaginary frogs. They were real frogs. But they were supernaturally everywhere. The lice were real lice. The water in the Nile was real water before the moment that Moses touched it with his rod and it became real blood. That's horrible. There are other miracles, the supernatural realities in the natural realm in the Old Testament. Maybe I'm the only one, but don't you think God has a sense of humor? What about this? What's the point of the whole story of Balaam's donkey? I I have to tell you when I read that story, I just keep having this idea of God turning to the angels and saying, watch this. This is going to really be funny. But it's a real donkey. But a donkey who talks. The funny thing is, (laughs) it's so human. When that donkey talks to Balaam, he hits it. (laughs) Allison and I were in a toy store, Toys R Us. There's a little girl down the aisle from us, and she picked up a little doll off of the counter, and when she tilted it, it spoke to her. Said, I love you. And she hit the knocked the head off on the edge. <laughs> when, the, when the natural world doesn't behave the way we think it's going to, it's frightening. What about in the ministry of Jesus itself, natural, the supernatural operating in the natural world? He turned water into wine. The story which we just read, he walked on water. He calmed the storm. Not all of these are as positive as the, what about when he touched that fig tree and cursed it and died? That may not be a miracle you pray for all the time, but it's a miracle nonetheless. Then there are the supernatural miracles of providence where God provides in a powerful way. What about manna? That just missed miraculous food for 40 years. Just wake up every morning and the food is there. This miracle in the supernatural realm, perfectly natural, it fed them, it nourished them. But it was supernaturally provided. And they got sick of the manna, they said, Lord, we just can't do this manna anymore. We love you, thank you for the manna, thank you, God. But God, really? There's got to be something else, and this flock of quail flew in. The real quail or imaginary quail? They were real quail, natural quail, but supernaturally provided God's supernatural prov- providence. Elisha, the story with the widow's oil. Remember, he said to her, "Make me a." Something to eat. She said, I've just got this little bit of oil. He said, use that and then get all the vessels that you can and fill them. And that oil, that oil supplied for her, provided for her. We see miracles of supernatural providence in the ministry of Jesus, feeding the multitude twice, 5,000 once and 4,000 once. It was a supernatural miracle. The bread supernaturally multiplied, the fish supernaturally multiplied. But it wasn't supernatural fish. Do you see the contradiction I'm trying to show you? It was, an, it was a real fish, supernaturally multiplied, miraculously provided, but it was real. Here, here's one of the most fascinating miracles of providence in the whole Bible. They said to Jesus, look, we're getting under a lot of criticism because we're not paying the temple tax. Should we pay the temple tax? Jesus says, well, actually, I like own the temple and all, but, but if you get right down to it, okay, let's pay the temple tax. But he said, here's how I want you to find it. Go down to the lake, catch a fish, and the first fish you catch, open his mouth and look inside. Caught the fish, open his mouth, and inside's a gold coin a real fish in a real lake, a real coin, but the incident itself is decidedly supernatural. God provides supernaturally in the context of the material world in which we live. Then there are miracles, you might call knowledge or prophecy or interpretation. They are supernatural, but nothing is healed, changed, produced, they're, they're, they are what you might call in, intuitively supernatural. Daniel and Joseph interpreting dreams. The handwriting upon the wall interpreted. Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah knew the, king, the, the enemy's plans. No matter what the Syrians planned in a foreign country, Elijah knew everything they were planning. He would just tell the king of Israel everything they planned. Oh, that Elijah would come again. We need to know the plans of the Syrians. What about about in the life of Jesus? It's very common. Let me just give you two. When Nathanael walks toward Jesus, Jesus discerns about his character. He says, a true Israelite, In whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, you don't even know me. It's a nice compliment. Thank you. But you don't know me. And Jesus says, before you came here, I saw you at your house standing under that fig tree. That's a supernatural moment of wisdom, clarity, knowledge, insight, prophetic reality. But there's no water isn't changed into wine. Or what about the woman at the well? The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus says, go and call thy husband. The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus says, well, you're right about that. You have no husband. You've been married five times. You're shacking up with a guy now you're not even married to. The next line is brilliant. She says, I perceive thou art a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> you think? You <laughs> think? But that's a supernatural moment. But there's nothing bizarre in the moment. Do you understand? Jesus doesn't turn bread, doesn't turn stones into bread. He's operating in the flow of the supernatural. But the conversation is natural. It's a natural man talking to the natural woman, a regular conversation. But it's decidedly supernatural. Then, Then there are miracles of healing. And their reverse. Supernatural moments. The many, many healings of Jesus. Some intentional and some simply by his presence. Remember the woman with the abnormal flow who came and touched the hem of his garment and was healed just by touching the hem of his robe. That power, virtue, Calvary love flowed out of him that he was the source of such supernatural healing loving power. That she was healed by that level of proximity. She didn't even touch his body. She touched the edge of the robe he was wearing and got healed. A miracle of healing. Decidedly supernatural. There are apostolic healings. Peter and John Healing the beggar at the gate, beautiful. Gold and silver have we none, but such as we have, we give unto thee. Rise in the name of Jesus and walk. And there he, he's healed. It's supernatural. And then one of the best of all the apostolic miracles. It says that when Peter and John walked the streets that they would drag the sick and the lame and the demon-possessed into the streets just so that their shadow would fall on them. And they were healed by their shadows. How, How supernatural is that moment? You understand what a shadow is? A shadow is darkness which is produced by a solid object preventing the passage of light from a distant light. The supernatural reversed that. That the power of healing from a distant source passed through them in such clarity that their shadow became healing light. That's supernatural. Sometimes there's not even the activity of the miraculous. The miracle is so spontaneous, so complete. What about the story of Paul being bitten by the snake? It's a wonderful miracle that causes a revival, but there's not a a moment. It's not like everybody gathers around Paul and prays for him and believes God and everything like that. He just, the snake comes out of the wood. He's trying to build a fire. The snake comes out of the wood and latches on his hand. Paul just shakes the snake off. It's the first time in the Bible I had shake and bake. (laughs) If you give better offerings, you give better jokes. <laughs> but it, it, everybody just waits for him to die. It's a real snake. It's real poison. It's a real man. Paul's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's a material man, a real snake, real fire. And there's no there's no falderall. It just healed. It's, a, it's a, a spontaneous miracle in the natural realm. There is also the reverse of those. It is a a supernatural if somebody that is sick gets healed. It's supernatural if by the will and determination of God somebody that's well gets sick. We may not like to think of it. But when Elisha's servant Gehazi accepts the... illicitly accepts bribes, um, payment, I should say, from Naaman the leper... Then Elisha says, you want his money, you can have his leprosy. And he struck with leprosy. Elisha strikes the Syrian army blind. So if you, if as Jesus did to give sight to the blind, that's a a supernatural moment. If If you can by your word simply speak and someone who is sighted can be blind, that's supernatural. Jesus brought sight to the blind Elisha and later Paul the apostle struck the sorcerer Elemas and struck him blind Elemas is trying to talk the Roman centurion out of believing in Jesus and Paul I like it when the apostles show a little temper you know anybody else here in touch with your own carnality or is it just me (laughs) Don't you like it every now and again? He turns to him, he says, you rat! Trying to get between this man and Jesus? You're trying to cloud his eyes? i tell you what, I'll cloud your eyes. Go blind. (laughs) Ellie Musk goes blind. I love the next line. It says, and the centurion believed. (laughs) Man, I say, I'm ready to get saved. (laughs) I see that hand. Are there any more? (laughs) Then there's life and death life and death all the horror stories all the vampires all the zombies all that stuff it's all matters of life and death I never understand the whole thing about the walking dead the walking dead and they're trying to shoot them am I the only one really it seemed like that like wouldn't work again but there's life and death miracles There are several resurrections in the Bible. Jesus is not the only resurrection. They're having a funeral. Elijah's tomb is over there having a funeral. There's some raiders that are coming. And they're in a hurry. They say, look, we don't have time. Just throw him in there. So they throw him in there, and he touches Elijah's bones and raises from the dead. That's a powerful supernatural moment. Elisha. Elijah's second in command, associate pastor raises, raises the Shonamite son from the dead. Jesus raised several, a dead boy, Lazarus. Simon Peter raised Dorcas. What about the reverse? The supernatural connection with life and death. What about the reverse of life and death? Moses said to Pharaoh, God has warned you, spoken to you, sent lice, plagues, blood over and over and over again, and you will not relent, you will not repent, you will not let my people go. So now I'm going to show you the supernatural power of God. Tonight, the firstborn of every, the firstborn male of every family, whether it's cattle or human beings, every single living being, the firstborn male of every litter of puppies, the firstborn of every male in Egypt, except in the land of Goshen where the blood of Jesus, where the blood of the lamb as standing for the blood of Jesus is over the doorpost, will die in one night. Now there's a horror story. Simon Peter Spoke to Ananias and Sapphira. They said, we sold our farm. Just using contemporary American figures, we got $100,000 for it. We want to give the whole thing to the church. But he gives the whole thing. Peter, operating in the power of supernatural wisdom and discernment, as I talked a moment ago, knows that they sold the farm for 200000 He says to Ananias, why would you do this? Why try to do it? It's your farm. It's your money. You're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. Why would you do that? It's your money. Do whatever you want to with it. But you've lied to God. This is blasphemous. And he dies. Drops down dead. Jewish law, they have to bury him before sundown. It's getting late. They carry him out. Bury him. A little while later, his wife comes in. Peter says, did you sell the farm for $100,000? She said, yes, $100,000. We're ready to give the whole thing. He said, you and your husband have conspired to, to lie to God. And those men that are coming in now, they just buried your husband. They're going to take you, and she drops dead. You want, I don't know. We don't, we don't know this, but I'm just guessing here that the, that the next Sunday, nobody lied about the offering. <laughs> huh? So you want to see my check? <laughs> now, those are supernatural moments. That's supernatural in all these categories: in nature, in providence, in knowledge, in healing, in life and death. What can what can we What is the takeaway for us in all these things? The first is this. The supernatural is real, but we do not live in fear of it. Yes, there are demons. I believe in it. The Bible says there are. Jesus believed he was casting demons out of people. Either Jesus was confused. How many want to vote for that? Either Jesus was confused or demons are real and Jesus had the power to cast them out. I believe that there are demons and that they're real. But listen to what I'm telling you. We have no fear of demons or demonic activity. The name of Jesus is a strong power. And the righteous run into it. And we are not afraid. We're not afraid. Listen to what I'm telling you. This is very, very important in a season of emphasis on the supernatural. I believe in demons, but they cannot touch you. They cannot touch you. They cannot hurt you. If a demon came in your house personified, you could see him, talk to him, a demon in your house, you are in less danger than if it was a burglar. Because you have authority over that. Demons have been defeated, and you say, out in the name of Jesus. When I was first on the road in evangelism, I was a Methodist evangelist for many years. And we attended a little Spearfield Methodist Church, one of the big things every year was a vacation Bible school. And the pastor would always, on the last day of vacation Bible school, he would dress up in some kind of a costume, he loved vacation Bibles, he'd dress up in some kind of costume. The last day of vacation Bible school, he'd dress up in a, this one year, in a, Uh, a devil costume you know in the red costume with the tail and the ears and everything like that and somebody was going to come out with a Bible and chase him away you see but the kids the children they're all packed in there several hundred children they're packed in there including our little boy Travis who's now a pastor over here in Bethlehem but he was at that time he was in the first grade and that devil walked out on the platform and nobody thought to warn the kids they went crazy they were screaming, crying, they're climbing over the pews, everything like that. And our little Travis jumps up in the middle of the pew and he says, "Out in the name of Jesus!" <laughs> so the whole skit is ruined. The pastor is going. <laughs> listen, all, all this all this goofy supernatural stuff, all this stuff, vampires and stuff. Listen, this is the 21st century. It's a little bit scary to be a vampire. Has anybody heard of AIDS? You. I'm sorry for the vampires. I'll tell you what, they need a selective market. Oh, I mean, really. What nonsense. What absolute nonsense. If we would not tremble for a real demon, then why would we tremble over a made-up vampire? I believe in the supernatural world, but we are not supposed to be afraid of it. The second is, we are not to dabble in it or touch it. Or toy with it or play around with it apart from the supernatural power of God through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Lord. Don't play with the supernatural world. Don't dabble around with. And I'm not, I'm not one of these people that think demons are going to jump out of stuff on you and that kind of thing. But don't toy around with it. Don't, don't, don't play games with it. You know, the ministry can just discourage the living daylights out of you. I was preaching at one of the largest Methodist churches in Atlanta some years ago, and I preached that morning, and I don't even know why I seldom do this, but I got really cranked up on the Zodiac. I'm, that's not my forte. I, don't, I know preachers that love that kind of stuff. But that morning, I don't know what it was. I don't know. Maybe I'd had too much coffee. But, man, I mean, I laced into the Zodiac. I'm just going it was over. Pastor and I stood at the front door shaking hands with people as they went out. This one lady shook my hand. She said, oh, she said, I could listen to you preach all day. You're so passionate. She said, I bet you're a Scorpio. I just turned to the pastor and we laughed. You know what? I mean, what, what are you going to do? But I, I'm, I am warning you, you don't want to fool around with that. Look, you understand reading these horoscope things in the newspaper. You do understand, right, that somebody's just sitting in an office somewhere saying, I don't, I don't know, let's tell them it's a bad day for Pisces. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> let's scare them. <laughs> Virgos are up the creek. <laughs> no, I mean, that's just, that's made up baloney. Don't, 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 but don't dabble with it. Don't fool around with, with supernatural games and things like that. And I, I urge you, parents, I'm not, I'm not trying to get all high-handed and everything, but I urge you, parents, oversee what your children watch on television. Don't, don't let them see this stuff. Don't let them feed their, their precious little brains on vampires and walking dead and stuff. I mean, really. You know, they want to dress up and go trick-or-treating on... Halloween, okay, that's fine. But how about that you let your little girl dress up as Queen Esther and not as the Walking Dead? Could we try that? Before this is over, everybody's going to be mad at me. The legalists are going to be mad because I don't say if you're going, if you do creature greeting, you're going to hell. That's what the legalists want. And and the people that want, that like to watch the Walking Dead, they're going to be mad at me because I said you shouldn't. Sign of a really good sermon is that you've alienated everybody in the house. I believe in the supernatural. The Bible is a supernatural book, and we are supernatural Christians that live in a supernatural world. But we're not to live in fear of it, and we're not to dabble with it apart from the authority and power of Jesus. Supernatural providence. God will provide. God will provide. That's a supernatural premise of Scripture. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I thank God for that. But the promise of his supernatural providence in no way excuses you from doing what you're supposed to do. It doesn't mean that you sit at your dining room table and say, Well, Lord, you've done all kinds of miracles, and I'm believing you for gold. (laughs) It means that you get a job. It means that you learn to base your life on biblical principles. It means that you hack through hard times. It means that there are moments when you sit at the kitchen table while your children are asleep and you say, oh, I don't know how they're gonna eat in the morning. I don't know what they're gonna eat in the morning. I know that's real. God knows that's real. But what I also know is somehow or another that same God is going to get us through. He's not going to let you drop. I believe in the supernatural. God does not need us to work a miracle. But he sometimes calls us into cooperation with him in the supernatural operation. When Jesus turned the water into wine... That's the end of the story. But there's the rest of the story. His mother says, they're out of wine. These are nice people, and they've run, the wedding's run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, I don't know how you talk to your mother. Let me tell you something right now. My mother's 91. I'm not saying woman. Woman. Woman, my hour is not yet come. I'm not ready to start my miracle ministry. My friend, Doran Heiliger, my Jewish guide in Israel, he says it's an absolutely perfect picture of a Jewish mother. She ignores him completely, and she just says, do whatever he says, and walks out of the room. <laughs> he said, you want to see a picture of a Jewish mother is to turn in the water into wine. Jesus says, okay, fill all these jugs up with water. His mother... All those servants, all those jugs, all that water, that's all somebody else's operation. The end of the story is Jesus turns the water into wine. The end of the story is Jesus walks on water. Somebody the, rows the boat out in the middle of the lake. In other words, God does not need you. But at the same moment, what a privilege, what an opportunity, what a moment when he offers you the opportunity to move into cooperation with him in a supernatural moment. Some act of obedience, pouring the water, Peter catching that fish with the coin in its mouth, the widow getting the vessels to be filled with oil, that some moment of human activity in the natural realm into which God empties himself in supernatural providential power. I believe in healing. I believe in praying for the sick. I believe in laying on of hands. I believe in the supernatural, miraculous power of God. I believe in it. I also believe in that supernatural moment when God says, I'm going to heal you in a miraculous way beyond anything you've ever dared to think of or imagine. I'm going to give you your glorified body, and I'm going to take you to live with me eternally in heaven. That's supernatural. That's supernatural too. I've seen miracles. I've laid hands on people and seen the sick healed. I love it. I believe in miracles. But I just want to say something to you. We are supernatural beings and we live in a supernatural world. And death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. I believe in the supernatural. We live in supernatural world. We are supernatural Christians serving a supernatural God. We're not afraid of of demons and spirits and ghosts and wraiths and all the rest of the nonsense. We are more than conquerors. What can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Can anything, nothing, nothing. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at DrMarkRutland or visit his website, DrMarkRutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.